0: Hey there, you're listening to Making Spaces, the podcast about community, culture, and making new connections, hosted by my good Judy, my friend and yours, Sarah Heath. On this podcast, we're having conversations about design, literally making spaces, and how some of the most inclusive spaces aren't always the most inviting. And we're talking about what it means to make space for one another. With the world the way it is right now, we need to find ways to have conversations across lines of radical difference. So join Sarah each week as she tackles the intersection of design and practical spirituality with conversations with some of the most fabulous guests you're ever going to meet. Some will talk about actual design, some of us will talk about relational design, but no matter what, it's an incredible time. So grab yourself a cup of whatever you like and welcome to Making Spaces with Sarah Heath. I mean you're dealing with, in a, lot of, in a lot of cases, you know, boomer or older white people who have money and who had power titles that were powerful in their jobs. And so that group of people has a very tough time quarantining themselves right now, let alone letting go of their church buildings and their status within the church. So yeah, there's a lot of panicky, white-knuckled kind of grasps at, at, at what was. Um, Dave earlier today had mentioned this, and he's talked a lot about this, but liturgy being the work of the people. And I think the more I've I've heard of, um, Dave talk about liturgy, the more I'm convinced that what we do with Parish Properties, what we care about with community, is we want to see a work of the people done with buildings. And uh, that's what you know, we're, we're bringing to churches is to say, hey, you're in a specific place, in a specific neighborhood with a specific people. Why not create or recreate your building to represent that group of people? And that's, if, if churches are open to that, I mean, that's when it gets super mm. exciting. And that's when inclusivity just happens because people are aware of who their neighbor is.
1: There is no denying that 2020 has been the year of disruption, so much needed disruption. Assistance of privilege are being called out through the work of Black Lives Matter and COVID-19 is teaching us that our health is tied to each other. We are rethinking what community looks like and what leadership in those communities should look like. Something new is being born, but we are in that liminal space. The question has become, how do you make space for what could be while caring for what is? This week, I'm excited to share with you my conversation with Dave Harder and Bryce Diamond, two people asking that very question. Dave and Bryce help run a company called Parish Property, which defines its work as being driven by the concern for the environment, spiritual health of a community, financial sustainability, and social impact. They help churches think through how to develop their space in a way that is sustainable, not just for the church community, but for the neighborhood they inhabit this conversation could not be more timely, as the idea of gentrification and colonization is rightfully at the forefront of any space-making conversation. So please enjoy the conversation and stick around for a couple of takeaways, as well as the weekly inspirational quote. We kind of just let the conversation go wherever we want it to go. Speak normally, eh? Yeah, speak normally. Please use A (laughs) as much as possible, considering that is my native tongue. (laughs) Nice. All right. Well, the first question and I'll start asking um, maybe Bryce, if you could answer this first and then Dave, the question I ask everybody is where is your favorite space and why? And I always give the disclaimer because I think it's important. It doesn't have to be your absolute favorite because I think sometimes we get caught up in the word favorite.
2: Right
0: yeah i was I was thinking about this long and hard last night because I like to get out and I like to travel and I like to see new places and I like to be a regular um, so i was I was thinking more grand um, than than maybe local. Uh, but there's a boardwalk in Quebec City um, that runs along uh, the St Lawrence River and the St Lawrence River and that uh, at Quebec city is, is, is huge. It's wide. Um, it's the widest it is before it reaches the ocean. And, um, it's just a gorgeous space. The boardwalk is, is also wide. We're, you know, we're above the river by, I don't know, probably a hundred, 200 feet anyways. And I just love the opportunity to, to see such an expanse and uh great for sunsets great for sunrises so that's probably the one that popped out the most for me
1: oh i love that that's beautiful what about you dave
0: yeah for me i went more of the local routes. So i love
2: i love that bryce i did not come up at the same spot which is always good <laughs> yeah. because we do so much together so um yeah there's uh as a neighborhood guy which is kind of what i'm referred to in my community um I deeply love those spaces where I get to bring my whole self into it and where I'm a known character and kind of get to enter that space and, and um, kind of like that cheers, you know, the kind of the old cheers mindset of just being known. Everyone knows you. So. That spot for me is is a local coffee shop in our uh, neighborhood um, called Arlington Five. and uh, It's where I do lots of my work. It's where I get to drink and experience good coffee because I'm a huge coffee snob. Um, but I get to go behind the till and make my own coffee and just kind of own the space as it is my own. So it feels like home to me. And so not just do I get to consume a product, which I think most – of us view businesses like, but I actually get to uh, go in as someone who's a character um, and it feels a bit like home.
1: Oh, you get to be a part of it. It's not just like a am far away from this. It's also
0: like I'm part of this. I'm
2: part of it. I'm part of the fabric of care, kind of love that it's, it's exhibiting in the neighborhood.
0: Has the staff all accepted the fact, Dave, that you're behind the till?
2: Um, some give me the odd looks and go, what's he doing here? But yeah, most know that it's, it's the Dave factor, they call it. And it's just what happens. So
1: they just expect you.
2: They just acknowledge it.
1: Yeah. I love it. Um, it's interesting because people have taken this question all over the place. So like a global understanding, or maybe like, um, someone said their bed. My bed is right, my bed right, the place right, I thought, Yeah, wow. that's great. Um, and for them it was cause that's where their family gathers in the morning and in the evenings. Right. so it becomes sort of this sacred space and i thought i like that mm-hmm. i like that it's good yeah
2: yeah in this in in this time it's definitely challenging when you don't have those spaces
1: yeah yeah
2: so that's that's hard
1: uh, a lot of what um has been interesting is doing this recording so we're recording this one uh during we're still in quarantine for covid right. which looks um yeah. All kinds of different ways for different areas Um, you guys are in are you both in the Toronto area
0: no both in Ottawa both in Ottawa okay yeah so yeah we're on
2: a form of lockdown Um, people can still go for walks but uh, uh, most of the stores and restaurants and businesses have been shut down
1: have they been shut down where you can't even get takeout
0: no there's some that like quote-unquote essential services uh, are open still. Uh, so there is, even coffee shops have some takeout options, but there's other coffee shops or restaurants that have shut down completely. But at least the breweries are open and are delivering beer to your door, so.
1: Uh, yeah, that's very Canadian and important. I also need to point out, um, a fun thing about this is that I, so um, Bryce and Dave know this, and not everyone knows this about me, I'm Canadian and then until I was 14. So I grew up in northern ontario and then i moved to mississippi and then i oh, wow. i have a british that's a change
0: yeah that's a yeah, culture shock
1: it was it was it was it had some lovely and challenging and uh-huh. different and anyway so i say all that to say um my accent hops on with whoever i'm talking to so tomorrow that's
2: <laughs> so good i know tomorrow
1: <laughs> i'm recording with a girl uh who a fr- good friend of mine who's a designer and she's from the south okay and so i'm just gonna say to people like, like if my drawl is coming <laughs> oh my gosh if my british or my southern or my canadian it's not that i'm mocking people it's that i literally have all three of those accents happening right in my mouth at the same time and it's embarrassing but it is what it is and people point it out all the time they're like i'll listen to one episode and your accent sounds <laughs> one way and then i listen to i'm like i know it's the worst it's the
0: worst and how long have you been on the coast for?
1: I have lived in California for, since 2005.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause I can hear a little Cali accent in there too. Really? Oh yeah. yeah.
1: I'll take that. I don't know what
0: that means, but I'll take <laughs> nice. it. Nice.
1: Um, so you guys, I, I would love to give a little background of both of you were pastors, not in the same community. Is that right?
0: Correct. Yep, that's right.
1: Um, and then you came to really help people think about their church property is so much more than just a property. And sort of what that has done is opened the property to more than just those who that was their community. So I'd love for you guys to just, however you want to do it, um, hop in and share just a little bit about how that happened.
2: Yeah. Um, I think how it happened for me was uh, resigning from paid kind of pastoral ministry uh, three years ago and then really wrestling through what next looked like. And I was consulting with Parish Collective, which helps churches reimagine what it is to do church, not just in a building, but actually be more outward facing in our neighborhoods. So how do we help churches pivot towards place, being a fabric of love and care in the communities in which we're in? The realities of people um, attending Sundays is shifted. So my neighbors are not thinking about where to go to church on Sunday mornings. So what does it look like in this new cultural moment to be the church? And I think neighborhood is a way in which we can engage and do that. So I would consult with churches and and in consulting, um, literally every church I would consult in, they brought up kind of the biggest liability um, or the noose around their neck towards mission was this building called their church and dealing with issues of deferred maintenance, low volunteerism, um, it was a it was kind of taking all the energy of the congregation to maintain this building. And so then then that then got me thinking about, okay, what's what's going on? Um, and in diving in a bit deeper, realizing that in America, six to ten thousand buildings are lost every week. Um, in america in in Canada, we're going to lose a third of our churches in the next uh, three to five years. So we have this narrative of churches being closed. in terms of the building which then is losing a huge social capital that they provided in the neighborhood. So where does AA then meet? Where does the daycare go? Where does momentat yoga go? Where So you have these um, community uh, events and activities that we're ha- inhabiting in these spaces used by the neighborhood um, and they're now going to be shut down. So that kind of spurred me on to seeing how we could discover what a solution could look like, where where these buildings were, were, an asset for the community and not seen as a liability.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that. And then how did, did you start this and then Bryce, you hopped on or how did that work?
0: Yeah. Dave started as a consultant with a friend of ours, who's a developer, uh, probably about a year. Before before I came on and then the three of us decided to like create an official entity known as Parish Properties together. Um, and, and, you know, Dave uh, and I were part of the same church. I was a elder in the church. Um, it was a very young church. Uh, Dave was the paid pastor, and when he resigned, I felt like, you know what? He he and I have been carrying a lot of weight together over this time. Maybe I should step down, too. Um, But in, in the time that we spent together as leaders within the church, we were pushing this idea of not just loving your neighbor, but loving your neighborhood. And as we loved our neighborhood and were in the various spaces of the neighborhood and you know around creatives, uh, artists or um, entrepreneurs, space just kept coming up from the neighborhood. Hey, we're looking for space. We're looking for you know low rent space. Um, community groups and community organizations. We're looking for that too. And so, I then began to see church buildings as an asset instead of being it like an anchor. That is just you know drawing people to a halt. So um, that's that's where my interest uh, started. And then when Dave and Rodney were already up to these things, uh, consulting with churches, um, mostly like mainline aging churches, I thought, oh, okay, maybe maybe I could get on this too. And so that's that's kind of my short path.
1: So does the parish or the church or the community that originally? Um use the space Do they maintain ownership of the space in in usually and then the outside sources come in or kind of how do you guys partner with folks
2: yeah i'll have bryce kind of talk a little bit um about that end but how to get there i think is in some ways important um because often what a church is dealing with is um, church buildings are not the most uh, attractive, be- beautiful, like they they have beauty, but because it's been neglected for so long um, and they're not often the most welcoming.
1: Oh, you're preaching to so, me right now.
2: So you don't have, they're, they're, they're not spaces where... Um, there's easy access, uh, people walk by them and they look very uninviting. And then you get in them and it looks like great grandma's living room. Like it's just (laughs) like the curtains and like, it's just so bad. Yeah. So no one really wants those spaces. If you're looking to rent it, like who wants to go in there? So then you're dealing with this massive, kind of problem around deferred maintenance where the brick needs repointed. And so where does the money come from? And we kind of always say that there's no amount of bake sales that are gonna ever provide enough income to replace the roof.
1: You guys so are my new best friends. I'm so excited about this. Like, but literally my heart is like, yes,
2: yes. So, so you have this massive deferred maintenance bill. You want the space upgraded. You don't have the income to do that. Where is the money going to come from, especially when congregations are declining? So you don't have the endowment that you maybe once had. There is a bit of a scarcity mindset in terms of money. So where, how do we beautify these spaces? So that's where we, we call it the hybrid approach is what if we didn't look at development as the, the necessary evil um, to just prolong our death? But what if we looked at it as a way where we can pivot towards providing a space where our neighborhood can utilize this, where it can become a beautiful space, a space where our community actually wants to inhabit it and animate it. So that's where we got into kind of this, what if we do development where the the, the the church or denomination maintains ownership of the land, but allows for um, an increase of capital to where they can actually do the work on the space that needs done.
1: Oh, I love that. I think um, I, the building, so I always, our building is gorgeous and it, it had these beautiful bones, but it almost oh. became the sort of in the background. People didn't see it because they were so used to passing it by and the paint had got dingy. And even though it was this beautiful, um, mission style church in the heart of a city, um, like a really cool, like small city, it was not noticed, even though it had these beautiful stained glass windows. And it's so interesting to me how just modernizing the paint on the outside and just doing some landscaping, people started walking in the door. Like just what is, Wow! this has been here since 1927 and all this, and it's the biggest building, like the tallest building in the city, um, as far as the bell tower and that part. And people Mm. just walked by it. They didn't know what it was and they assumed it was their grandmother's church. And in some ways the makeup of that church looked like their grandparents right
2: for sure
1: (laughs) but what was interesting is these were the most inclusive and affirming people and you would never know how incredible they were because they didn't know how to reach out to the community now they had done a lot of service and I would say they did a lot of service at the community um (laughs) and that like they would do things Uh right at the community not bringing the community or allowing the community within the space but they had the right heart for it and so this beautiful space already was a, a place of art because, you know, originally art, the only place the common person would see art would be in a church right. right. And then somehow we lost that and we became warehouses with weird um, you yep. know, whatever it might be that just didn't feel like if you didn't understand, you didn't you didn't feel, feel like you fit in mm-hmm. there. And so it we mm-hmm. became this sort of odd, Place, and especially like the you know, I don't know what was happening in the '70s for churches, but
0: dear Lord, <laughs> shag carpet,
1: you know. And I'm like all for like we can make that look cool, but when it's just like oh, this isn't on purpose. This just has never been changed. Um, that's an interesting. I love that. Like, what do we? because that's the pain that I deal with all the time with my colleagues with yep we can't yes. afford to do this and it's the scarcity 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 that's right, instead of the opportunity and it it honestly is soul sucking like it really is we've got this we've got the biggest buildings in the biggest cities guys you've
2: got the biggest buildings and in a, a huge footprint you don't often we don't you know you've got 50 pe- 50 people meeting in a uh, and, and I'm talking canada numbers 50 people meeting in a sanctuary that's that seat 700. Um, like just the environmental footprint that that is taking up. We don't need the space, the amount of space we have. Um, and then we joke around um, the parking lot where, you know, someone will say, well, you know, how many parking spots, spots do you need? Well, five years ago we had this wedding and, we, and, we had, and uh, it was at the same time that Easter Sunday. And so we need like 250. And we're like, oh my God. And so, again, we just don't need the space we think we need. And what would it look like to lower that environmental footprint, but also create a beautiful space that you can inhabit?
1: Oh, I love that. And I think there is this uh, interesting thing that's happening for us right now as churches can't gather in their buildings.
2: Right. Mm.
1: We're discovering what church actually is.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, guys. I if you're wondering whether to follow me on um, buying stocks and whatnot, you just want to think the opposite of what I do. So, for instance, one of my favorite things I said ever was, "I can't believe I put cameras and phones. Who's ever going to use that?" That was me. <laughs> the other thing I did was started a podcast and a movement on making spaces so that people could be in proximity with each other and then a pandemic broke out. So you guys, I am... You're
0: trending, you're trending.
1: I'm I'm the opposite of trending. But I think what we're discovering is that proximity is different than we think it is. And I think we're understanding this ache in us to be around people. Yes. And to actually be around people that are different than us. I think the fear for a lot of church people, and Bryce, maybe you can speak a little to this, is like, if they come in our space, is it going to change our space? And the faithful mm. answer is yes. Yeah. And that's great. And yeah. so um, when it comes to them in that space or whatever, however, you're, I'm sure you do. I loved your, I, guys, I might've read your website several times because I just love this hybrid understanding and model. Mm. Mm. Would you say one of the hardest things is getting folks to let go of some of the control?
0: <laughs> I mean, you're dealing with Price in a nice. lot of, in a lot of cases, you know, boomer or older white people who have money and who had power titles that were powerful in their jobs. And so that group of people has a very tough time, uh, you know, quarantining themselves right now, let alone letting go of their church buildings and their status within the church. So yeah, there's a lot of panicky, white knuckled kind of grasps at at what was. Um, Dave earlier today had mentioned this and he's talked a lot about this, but liturgy being the work of the people. And I think the more I've, I've heard um, Dave talk about liturgy, the more I'm convinced that what we do with parish properties, what we care about with community is we wanna see a work of the people done with buildings. Yeah. And uh, that's what you know, we're, we're bringing to churches is to say, hey, you're in a specific place, in a specific neighborhood with a specific people. Why not create or recreate your building to represent that group of people. And that's if if churches are open to that, I mean, that's when it gets super Mm. exciting. And that's when inclusivity just happens because people are aware of who their neighbor is.
1: We're going to take a brief break from this conversation to listen to some messages from our sponsors that make this podcast possible. So my church is right next door to an office building that um, a very large, very famous, the guy wrote a book about our purpose, church is at, um, and not, <laughs> not, his, not his original campus, but one of the yep. um, campuses. And uh-huh. it's really interesting because people will say to us, aren't you afraid? Like when we were revitalizing um, our church community and relaunching, um we just sort of restarted it's a crazy restoration story honestly um and uh they said aren't you afraid that like that church is going to take away from like your there's already a big church here and i said well those are all people of one demographic who drive there and they're not from this neighborhood
2: that's it that's it
1: and uh that that's great they're playing you know one time my friend said this great thing it's like you know it's great they're playing tennis but we're golfing <laughs> although yep. I would do neither yep. of those but <laughs> yeah, like I feel you I feel you <laughs> we're playing soccer and they're watching right. golf um it's just cool. a it's a very different um mindset and way that we do it and I absolutely want them to do their community and it supports what they need but it's not like our people would never go there and their people would be like what the actual living hell is happening if they came (laughs) to our church you know like what is this demographic that we're trying to reach here because it's so weird like I honestly look around sometimes and I'm like can you guys just look around at how odd the makeup of this community (laughs) is how is this working definitely that's the thing is that you have to let kind of understanding the idea of this is the work of the people and that can be really frustrating as a pastor because it means you have to just let it happen as it happens (laughs) oh yep and there is something that happens too when you change a building when you revitalize it it really does change the energy of even the naysayers
0: yeah without a doubt
1: like they start to have an energy or a care about their community in a different sort of way.
0: I think one
2: of the things that's been challenging for people to grasp, specifically in the Canadian context, is that, um, decline is happening. It's a hard thing to own. And the on being
0: responsibility for it, eh?
2: take responsibility for the, the on being project has done an amazing job of uh, Casper, um, has done a good job of of kind of studying how we gather and how that shifted. And if we're just expecting to kind of, you know, do the same things and have people come on Sundays, and it's just not. Like, there there needs to be some um, imagination around what it is to be the church in the neighborhood. And often we meet with churches and, like, literally one pastor said, Dave, I'm one 90-year-old away from dying from a crisis. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you've probably been in a crisis for 20 years. Uh, yeah. But you're just owning now that you might be in one. <laughs> and, like, that's <laughs> but that's a common reality is people are just hanging on. And so I think one of our roles is to go in and just go, you know what? You've been in a crisis for a while, and you can't wait. Yeah, The, the, the development approach takes time it's not, it's not fast. So if you want to actually, you know, change and shift and evolve and become this, you know, animating presence in your community, there's no better time to start than
1: now.
0: Yeah. And that goes for younger congregations too. I have a buddy who's a a pastor in town and uh, he, I had told him about what we do and asked him if, you know, he and his congregation would be interested in, in you know, rethinking their building for the good of the neighborhood. And he said, I hope our congregation never gets to the point where we need to have this other revenue stream. And I was thinking, man, man like you have a housing crisis in Ottawa, in our city. You have a housing crisis in every city across this country. And probably... I'm um, In the States. Yeah, I'm sure it's the case, too. And I'm like, you have a chance to put extra housing, whether through apartments or condos or townhouses, whatever it is, you have the opportunity because the land that you've been privileged with and you're thinking about how it will only help you financially. I'm like, oh, man, we're in real trouble if that's where younger congregations are at.
1: Well, it's the false narrative that somehow tithing is gonna maintain us. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's the idea, well, we just need to get more butts in the pews. Right. Well right. I grew oh, by, you know, quite a bit. We you know, we we really grew a lot and yet mm-hmm. our giving we have a lot of people who are traumatized by church or yep. um, yes. Um Who have a different sort of understanding of what giving is, or you know, the housing crisis you're talking about. I live in a really expensive place to live, and so people don't have income. And then I went to this meeting. Oh my heavens! And it was for my denomination, and one of the one of these guys says, "Well, what you need to do is get your older people to give more." And I looked at him. I said, "My older people are on a fixed income. Right? They're trying to live in close to proximity to their families, but." They can barely afford the care that they are having to have. So I don't understand where you think it's just a bunch of rich folks who are coming in. And even though our neighborhood, there is Newport Beach right here. Um, I'm really suffering for the Lord where I live, guys. Um, You know, (laughs) but it is also a lower, there are lower income areas that are right by the church. And it really is between the two. And if you're asking me to only try to be a fundraiser with tithing mm-hmm. right. you're not asking you're asking me to manipulate people not For sure. and i think people should invest in it but what are we giving back to the community yeah if you're that's giving it. money it's kind of like the whole kickstarter gofundme <clears throat> what are what are we doing with it and i think that's the and it can't just be providing you with a really good social club
2: no. i love what you're doing it's amazing i want to come to your church see, yeah. see,
1: it, it's a. Uh, it's i tell you it is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, yes. It's the most criticism I've ever received and the most also right. compliments. And I it's the that. hardest thing to go. Neither of them have anything to do with me. <laughs> yeah. When I first oh, I got that. there, I, uh, I had this great group of, so we had 27 elderly folks meet around 12 to 27, depending on who you talk to elderly folks <laughs> meeting, in this beautiful church that had gone through all of their external buildings were taken down to build a parking lot because we were out of legality of having a parking lot. And uh, they were beaten down is the only way I know how uh, to describe them. And uh, I would make changes and I was there was no office for me on site. They tore down all the offices. So I was working in a co-working spot, which I would say actually is what was one of the best things I've ever done sure. ministry wise. Yeah. Um, yep working around creatives entrepreneurs um you know most of the incredible connections i made in the community and actually some of the great leaders that are part of our community came from that time just co-working with them but i would come into the office and i don't know what it was about my face but there were a couple of creatives that worked in the front offices and they would just look at me and go they don't hate you they hate change (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, right for yes.
1: Sure. yes yes and i was like yes. everyone hates me
0: <laughs> oh no <laughs> that's real
1: yeah those decisions had to be made i had to yes. say yes. we're not going to yes. build a warming kitchen we're going to build a spot for kids yes. um we're going to actually spend the money that we were given to redo because this is our our last shot um and, and that means we're going to redo the floors so that they're accessible for folks in Mm-hmm. wheelchairs, we're going to put, you know, freaking casters on the pews because we need to face each other instead of like, I'm not the keeper of the knowledge that all of you need to look at. Right. Um, and it makes it better for our AA group when they need mm-hmm. to be in a circle. Mm-hmm. Um, And so it's just really, it's absolutely my heart's passion because I didn't realize, but making space for people theologically and emotionally is actually very similar to making spaces in a building, I didn't realize yes. how similar Definitely. the work you're doing. So I'm not surprised that both of you are former pastors. I would say you're still pastors, and you're still doing yeah. the work no, of the. No, right.
2: we had we and we we do say that and acknowledge that I'm a pastor in my neighborhood. I may not be on a Sunday morning in the same kind of way, but we can't escape it. We can't escape it. We had, we
0: had we had a friend of ours who's an artist, uh, just come to us and and say we need to start an art type community like an artist-based community um for the neighborhood but like for artists in the neighborhood specifically and i want to call it art church and the person had you know no religious or christian affiliation just just that was the name that they came up with and she's coming to us to to do it and we're like man, we just can't get out of this.
1: (laughs) You're like, I'm planting a church and I'm aggressively trying not to. (laughs) I kind of feel that way. I think about, I don't know if you guys ever watched the um, uh, Monty Python movies, but there's a few. Yeah. There's, you don't have to admit it, but there's the life of Brian where (laughs) this guy's like lying, like he's, or he's not the Messiah, but everyone thinks he is the Messiah and he keeps like saying stop following me and he's running around and they're like only the messiah would say stop following me and i feel that way sometimes i'm like people stop following me and they're like only someone who wouldn't want us to follow them is the person we should follow i'm like this is a mess (laughs) so true i feel when you're like super vulnerable and honest with people and you think well this is it this is the end once i say this and everyone's like that's the thing i needed to hear
2: (laughs) isn't that fascinating
1: it is i think and when we're honest like i think you know, you were saying when you first go into a community, when you're honest with them, like, let's really get honest about what's happening. Um, That's one of the benefits of being in California. And I think in some ways, because I'm from Canada, in Canada, we're in a post Christian. Oh, yeah. You know, no one is wondering, like, what church you go to. It's not even, I remember telling my friends in Canada that I was, I remember saying I was dating a a good Christian. And my friend was like, I don't know what the F that is.
2: <laughs> right, like what the hell are you talking about? Yeah,
1: what the hell, like what is that? And I was yeah. like, well, he like loves the Lord and she's like still not tracking.
2: What the <laughs> like, f- I don't know. On fire for Jesus. Can you, sp- can you speak English please? <laughs> is he
1: in a cult? Like I don't know what to say here. Um, And so we already know what the trend is and I think people are holding on so tightly and yep. I think there's this yep. really weird thing especially we see it in the Southeast here of the U S where what if we build a church that's like six flags over Jesus and has every component that's already in the community, but we have it in this building. So we have cheerleading camp. We have everything you need. We have a -A Chick-fil-A in the lobby. We have all these things that's like the opposite of what we're talking about. They're putting more walls and doors around it instead of opening the doors um, and allowing people who aren't, um, of the faith, but are um, of the, of our tribe as people, as humans. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I just, I think that's going to fail because we've seen it here in a, in a microcosm where yes, a lot of the mainline churches are dying because everyone's going to like the cool hip church that, you know, is down the street or whatever, but they're just constantly fighting that battle of becoming as cool as they possibly how many worship leaders from australia with deep v-necks can we get and like maybe just maybe that will save us um oh my gosh and it. And go ahead and that's
2: and that's the system i came out of and it's just exhausting oh. like to like for every sunday to have to be cooler and better
1: whereas like, my like using the old liturgy and just sort of repurposing it with like hey like What does it say to be in a building that has a history when you yourself, you know, when you're from California, you probably haven't been here very long. And if you have, you've not been around an old building. And there is this thing that happens in our soul that we think like, Mm -hmm. I have to be that age that everyone in a movie is. It's important to be 25 and like, you know, all that stuff. And when our churches mirror that, we don't allow people to live through every generation. And when our buildings are falling apart that are from an older time, we're not letting people experience an older building um, um, with nice. a sense of permanence because there's so much ex- existential dread that comes with thinking like, Oh my gosh, I've got to use this. Otherwise parts of me are going to start falling off. But our buildings mirror our, our persons, I feel like,
0: yeah.
1: or our systems. Um yeah,
0: a lot of truth. A lot of truth to that.
1: Yeah, and so when you guys are in the midst of it, and you are able to sort of show them more, Bryce, talk about reaching out to the community and, and kind of what is your kind of what is what does it look like? And you can just use like examples of it because I know it'll look different in every setting. But you begin by meeting with the church.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. Uh, a lot of times the churches that we're meeting with are, are in crisis, they are aging. Um, and so we're, we're trying to give them a different uh, option than just selling, because selling is, you know, the most common narrative for aging churches, declining churches. Um, so we're, we're trying to, you know, give them some survival options by redevelopment and initially, that looks like, you know, something that's for them. But we're hoping uh, and we're definitely, you know, talking about ways that they could do this for the neighborhood because we care about neighborhoods and we care about the people that are in their neighborhoods. Um, so if you, you know, if you can get a church that's excited about that too, then, then you know, you're on a real good path. Um, but for me personally, my, my number one... Um, interest in terms of what the building could be, is to really try um, to, to provide more housing, like just mar- even market rent apartments. Um, our cities are so desperate for right now. Um, the city I grew up in, which is just outside of Toronto, has the worst housing crisis in the country um, in Mississauga. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's a city of almost a million people. It's 25 minutes from downtown Toronto. And, yeah, and it has, you know, it it, uh, historically has been a place where, you know, middle class or richer people live and then they commute into Toronto because they're, you know, financial people or they, uh, you know, work for for various businesses. Anyways, because that's where they started, they really never thought of creating infrastructure for social housing or it's very limited. Um, And so, you know, as they're changing, they're changing their transit system, they realize, oh, you know, there are actually people who are now leaving Toronto because it's unaffordable. They're looking for suburbs like Mississauga. And, you know, the the city has 0.3% vacancy rate, which is outrageous when it's a crisis, when it's at, you know, lower than 3% vacancy rate. Um, so for me, I'm like that, I'm hyper aware and, and sensitive to, to that because we have lots of people who come to this country who are in need. The last thing we want them to, the last thing I want them to have is, you know, live in a shelter for 18 months with, you know, four kids after they came from war torn countries or refugee camps. So that's my like main interest to help the church pivot when they think about what could this building be? Well, you could be a building that has housing for, for vulnerable people.
1: That's incredible. And then the redevelopment finances come through varying streams.
2: Yeah. What, what was kind of our, our model to get into a more linear conversation, um, is we start with a listening phase. So we go into a congregation and we just want to listen to them. Um, we want to lament, we want to have the vulnerable conversations, but we also want to clarify what are their objectives? Um, how has maybe their mission changed? Also, how's the neighborhood changed? In most of these um, neighborhoods where these buildings are, the neighborhood has shifted. It's not what it was, you know, 50, 75 years ago or more when the church was built so um, so we listen to the congregation and we listen to the neighborhood and we go what are the cracks and crevices what how, how is this church and ecosystem in the neighborhood what's missing um, and is there a way that this church building in the moving towards a more sustainable model of church can actually be be an asset be something that the neighborhood could participate and engage in so you know lots of churches will say well our objective we want to be a music venue well, then you go out and listen to the neighborhood, and they go, "Well, we got kind of hundreds of music venues in the neighborhood, <laughs> um, so we don't really need another music venue." Okay, so you go back to the church. And go, okay, so this is what the neighborhood is saying. Sure. Let's reconsider maybe what our space could be, uh, and then we move into a business plan where we our, our goal is really to help them see what's possible on their site, uh, and then leverage um, the asset to create a business model that's sustainable for them, to do the deferred maintenance, upgrade the space based on what their, their objectives are. Um, so phase two is kind of creating that business plan. We present that back. And then phase three is moving to implementation or how can we then curate a conscientious developer? So there are a lot of predatory developers and we have endless stories where churches think that they're getting a developer who cares about their best interests. As soon as that title is, is um, is given over, they do what they wanna do. And that often looks like highest and best use. So so there's not, you know, the objectives uh, of the congregation are ignored. We also see high consulting fees and the church giving, giving, giving and exhausted because at the end of it all, they still aren't farther ahead. Um, so we try and come in and curate a developer who we uh, know is gonna care for the best interests of that congregation. And then we will we'll be a bridge um, to the congregation because uh, again, a lot of committees just don't understand the development world, and and shouldn't need to. Like, you don't need to be an expert in legal and real estate and development, and you just should be able to care about the mission. So, we want to come alongside and just help the the congregation kind of move through the implementation. Phase.
1: That's awesome. Uh, I think we we in here are dealing with a lot of our churches uh, decided that having a cell phone tower would be a great. <laughs>
0: Right. Sailor Jesus. Nice. Yeah.
1: I will glow in the dark 100% uh, <laughs> within the next couple of years because every church I've ever worked at has a cell phone tower.
0: Yeah. So funny. I've seen them.
1: <sighs> yeah. And that way, you know, it was a way of developing without developing. Right. But the issue is the contracts they got into are absolutely, I had a lawyer friend look at ours and just, yeah. just puts it down and looks at me and just starts laughing. Right. Um, because what happened is when they tore all the buildings down around us, we had a, a building that we, that they had all of their, uh, equipment in. And wouldn't you believe it, uh, when we were going to touch that building, this was, all these decisions were made before I was there. Um, mm-hmm. the, you know, the cell phone tower company came at us with, you can't touch this building, even though it's on your property. Um, and so it became this really interesting legal debate that slowed down the whole process and ended up costing um, $67,000 for them. So we built a building that took up space on our property that is a building that just has cell phone equipment in it. Now, what I did when I got here was I saw that building and I was like, hmm, and I always wanted to paint it, do a mural of some sort. And so the folks through United Way were doing a United to End Homelessness campaign so I was like, paint that building. So they did. So um, <laughs> that was awesome. sort of my middle finger to that situation. But <laughs> uh, now it. It, it's painted like the interior of a living room. It looks like a house. Um, oh, so cool. To remind people that the only way to end housing to what you were talking, or yeah. the housing crisis, Bryce, is yeah. really homelessness is only ended by a home.
2: That's it. Um, That's they've
1: it. looked at all the statistics. It's we can give as much as we can give and it's not going to end cool. the cycle. <laughs> and really the only thing that ends the cycle That's is housing. Right. And so we actually have one side of the building says what ends homelessness and the other side says a house and there's like the interior of a building. So it's this like Instagrammable building, but we don't realize the contracts we get ourselves in. And unfortunately so many denominations are, I would call it in fight or flight. So they're selling off some of their buildings and it's penny wise and pound foolish as my British mother would say, Um, because in the neighborhood you're never going to be able to afford our building. I don't even want to tell. You're
2: you never going to get them back. Oh, gosh, no. You will never get them back. Once they are gone, they're gone. Yeah.
1: And it's only being used on the Sunday. Like that's our we've started using it in different ways. And it's like, oh, man, um, that just if it's only being used on Sunday, it's just really bad stewardship of that uh, space.
2: It is. It's a bad stewardship of, of that asset. That, for definitely. sure.
1: Um, I would love to talk to you guys forever because literally you're talking about my heart. Um, But I want to make sure that we don't have the world's longest podcast, so we're probably going to talk again. But I always like to end with a a question of if there was one thing that a congregation or even a person could do to begin to think about making space for others, a tangible thing, what would you say that is? I know that's such a big question.
0: (laughs) you got one dave you got an answer i i do okay go for me
2: um yeah the thing that i would say is listen to your neighborhood don't assume you know um often what the church does is provides needs that no one's asking for so if we could actually listen to our neighborhood when you walk the streets when you listening takes uh, a number of different postures it's not just listening to people talk but it's looking around at the built environment it's walking the streets with uh, uh, kind of ears and eyes open, listening to your place and begin to discover what, uh, what the cracks and crevices are, what's, what's, what are the broken places, but then also asking what are the hopes and dreams of God for this place? Mm. Because I think what we do is we get stuck asking church questions and church questions are boring as F
1: yeah.
2: um, because it's, do we keep the pews or not? Right do we like church questions are insanely boring when we begin to ask neighborhood questions um what are god's dreams for this place what's broken here we begin then to see our spaces become um uh an opportunity a space to reimagine so start start with the neighborhood and then we can actually become and do i think what uh what the community needs
0: yeah i'll i'll kind of uh, start where you left off Dave with this idea um, invite neighbors into your building not because you have a Sunday service or you have like some weird Trove Tuesday thing um, but invite people to just no w- knows how that is. <laughs> um, invite them into your space to ask them what they think of it and and what works and what what wouldn't work? What would you do in this space? And you know what couldn't you do in this space? Um, I think that would be quite a experiment to see how if the building's functional for 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 neighbors who would be in this space rather than like esoteric Christians who use that space once you know once a week.
1: Mm, it's kind of the idea of making the sacred ordinary and the ordinary sacred like what 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 makes sense in this building to you and what doesn't um oh i love that guys you have opened up all kinds of uh thoughts and i i really would love to connect with you again and um, i'll make sure to get all of your information on ways that people can connect with you and Um, I know that right now you guys are in um, Canada, right? Most of your all of your work is in Canada.
2: No, no, I'm actually working. We're working. uh, Just signed uh, a contract with the church in Pasadena, so I can't wait to come and have an excuse to see you. Oh my
1: goodness, that makes me so happy.
2: So actually, many of our contracts right now are coming stateside simply because of um, the post-Christian reality and this need. That, that's now becoming very apparent within a number of denominations. So, we're working with United Methodists. That's
1: me. Oh, there's, yeah. there's
2: a church, church in Portland that we're working with right now. Uh, Leroy Leroy Barber is a really oh, good friend.
1: I love Leroy, of course.
2: Uh, yeah. So Leroy's a good friend. So we're doing some stuff with them, and and uh, and then we're working with the Episcopalians, um, and then uh, UCC. So yeah, we are doing lots in the States and, oh, that's and awesome. Um, not, not just reserved to Canada.
1: Oh, that's great. And um, if folks want to reach out to you and kind of imagine more how, um, your building is for your community, literally mm. not the community that's yeah. in there yet. Um, and, mm. and it doesn't just mean you're trying to get folks in the pews. You're trying to right. get people in a space and mm. get in proximity with each other. Um, I am grateful. Thank you so much for giving me this time as you're in, quarantine lockdown, um, I when you come to Pasadena, I will absolutely be offended if we don't.
2: Um, no, wow. I will, I there am, am go, looking forward to hanging out. Love and Sarah, thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. i glad to finally have connected and, and just, yeah, really appreciate the ways in which you're curating space um, as space for belonging and inclusion and connection and how beauty matters in those spaces. So I can't wait for us to collaborate on projects.
1: Oh, me neither. I'm really grateful to talk to two folks from my home and native land about things so close to my heart. We need to listen to our neighborhood, not just the people, but also be paying attention to the existing spaces and ask what really is needed and what is missing. I love their idea of inviting neighbors into your building and actually asking them what works and what doesn't work. It's a practical way of listening to the neighborhood as you begin to make space. This week's quote is from Michelle Obama. When crisis hits, we don't turn against each other. We listen to each other. We lean on each other. We are always stronger together. It's a great quote as we begin to think about what does it mean to make space for each other. Making Spaces is edited by Stephen Burnett from The Cult Popcast. The introduction music is It Can Be Done by Ari via Epidemic Sound. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and leave us a review. It helps other listeners find us and let us know that we're on the right track.